0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
1: Today we begin a new sermon series called Lessons on Family from the book of Genesis. We are exploring some of the quote-unquote biblical family models, but what we'll see is Families in the Bible don't always get it right. Uh, They are just like us. Yet their stories can help us learn lessons, too, and help guide our own families in how to be faithful followers of Jesus. Each week, we'll be looking at a different part of the larger story of God's family in Genesis, and our story begins with Abraham. Ralph is going to read the story for us, and it actually comes near the tail end of what the Bible shares about Abraham. Uh, We know early on Abraham was called by God from a distant land, uh, uh, probably near Iraq, and he traveled to what would become Israel. God makes a covenant with Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, even though he has no children. And after some other wild stories, finally Isaac is born. Abraham has an heir to build a nation, and the world will be blessed. But all of this is thrown into question in a moment by our next story. This is the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14.
0: Hear now the word of the Lord. After these things, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. So? Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place of the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father? And Abraham said, Here am I, my son. And Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. Then he bound up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. The angel said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided.
1: And from Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts and lives so that we can better follow you and make the right sacrifices for ourselves, for our families, and for the benefit of the whole world. Let may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last summer, our family took a vacation out to Acadia National Park in Maine, and it really lit a fire for my youngest son, Hal. Uh, He didn't mind going on trails around here, especially if there was a, a river with a waterfall he could play in, but it wasn't exactly his favorite thing to do that all changed after going to acadia there were cliffs and rock scrambles that were genuinely challenging and genuinely dangerous and he loved it Uh, after coming back from our trip he demanded that we find hiking trails near us that had the same kinds of challenges and now that's a little tougher to do but Uh, Day one after getting back, uh, we tried a trail out in the Ramapo Mountains to see what it had to offer. Uh, We read up on it, got Hal's hiking stick he bought at the national park, drove out and started hiking the trail. It wasn't ideal since we were trying to get to the top of one particular mountain, and it all had all these switches. We were on four different trails trying to travel just a mile or two to get to the top of the mountain, but it did have a rock scramble, which was absolutely his favorite part, and eventually we got to the top. Now, I was just using a hiking guide from my phone, and I had never been to this mountain before, so we couldn't quite tell when we hit the summit. We looked around, looked for what seemed like the tallest point, stood on a tall rock and declared victory over the mountain. We took a quick break, and as I sat on the rock, Hal walked down this little side trail. He was maybe 20 or 30 feet away, and he said, Hey, Dad. So I got up and walked over to him, and wouldn't you know, there was a break in the trees and an absolutely beautiful view of the mountains. We could have so easily missed it. We followed the trail, got to the summit, but that wasn't really the point, was it? You want to be able to see that view and get a moment to appreciate all the climbing you've done. A lot of things are like that in life. We graduate from high school and you celebrate. You get through college and you do the same. Your first job, a big promotion, the birth birth of a child, they're all accomplishments where you can pause and look back and see just how far you've come. Recently, I celebrated finally paying off the bills from college and grad school and being completely debt-free. It's a big deal to do that, right? You've taken time and energy to take a big step in life, and it's good to pause, look out across a beautiful view, and say, wow, look how far we've come. Now, children can be an especially noteworthy accomplishment. I know not everyone here has a child, but we are all the children of a parent or guardian The people who took care of us probably had at least a moment or two where they said, hey, look at all we've done. Look how much our little one has grown. And yet for many parents, their worst nightmare is that their children don't grow. They don't accomplish the things they want them to. There was a dance recital for ballet students that included several classes and ages. The youngest ones at six years old were at the dress rehearsal the day before and had a complete meltdown. They forgot the dance and didn't do much of anything that they were supposed to. But the instructor knew this was common and, and planned to run through the whole thing multiple times before the actual performance the next day. The problem was, one of the parents was irate. She was yelling and screaming about paying for classes every week when the students couldn't even remember the dance or look graceful doing it. Mind you, this happened in front of the child. The instructor was so dismayed because the woman's daughter was really talented. She had great muscle control, knew all the terms, and was excellent at just six years old. But how do you think this little girl felt after her mom was yelling and screaming? Sadly, the mom could not step back and see the bigger picture. She was too upset about a rehearsal to see the damage she was doing to a very talented little girl. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about a change of perspective and how they force themselves to think differently about a situation. They don't want to be the parent having a tirade because their kid isn't meeting their expectations. So they shift to what's called a neutral perspective, It would be like imagining you aren't actually in the situation anymore. You think of yourself as an outsider observing what is going on. And maybe sometimes that can help a person not overreact like the ballet mom. But something else happens too. When we do that, taking on the perspective of an outsider, we become dispassionate. We lose our drive and our heart when we slip into that third-person point of view. Life, though, just isn't that simple? Parents can't just stop caring about their kids. So much of life is tied up in their success. So what does a parent do? What does a person who wants to encourage a son or daughter's success or their business or their family to lead them in the right direction, how do they do that? How do we get the right perspective to avoid berating someone's failures and appropriately encouraging their successes? We see Abraham wrestling with this in the book of Genesis. Abraham has had a rough go of being chosen by God to bless the whole world. At first, he was simply called out of a foreign land to a place God would show him. This is a big deal, and we could spend time on just that and how hard it is to go to a new place, and a place where you know nothing and no one, Uh, but that actually isn't even close to the hardest part for him. Years later, Abraham is promised a son, but the problem is he's an old man. He's in his 80s and has no children. How will generations be blessed by him if he's about to die with no heir to pass on his good name and his wealth? So he has a child with his handmaid, Hagar. Today today this would be absolutely bizarre, Um, so we would not think this is normal, this would be scandalous, but back then it was considered normal. If a wife couldn't have children, then she would use a servant to have a baby, and the baby was considered the property and rightful heir of the property owner, which is Abraham. We should probably think of this closer to someone using a surrogate today. Everyone knows who the baby belongs to. There's a clear contract made in advance. So even though Abraham's situation sounds very strange to us today, it wouldn't have been back then. Abraham's use of the handmaid uh, to make sure he has an heir for his wealth uh, is the way to fulfill God's promise to be a blessing to the whole world. The strange thing, though, is that the maidservant Hagar starts acting like she's the boss and she mistreats Sarah, Abraham's wife. When Sarah complains to Abraham, Abraham says, she's your servant due to her what you think is right. And she mistreats Hagar back, right? She's so mean to her that Hagar runs away with her son Ishmael. See, now this is starting to sound the way we might expect it to with multiple women, women dealing with fertility issues and vying for an heir to the wealth Of abraham it's a regular episode of the real housewives Uh, that then out of nowhere sarah gets pregnant she gives birth to isaac and hagar and ishmael are permanently kicked out they are no longer a part of the covenant from god to bless the whole world We could definitely spend time with this, too, because from our perspective, it looks like either God is changing the deal and is wrong, or Hagar and Ishmael are wrong just for existing. It feels unsettling. But all of this is simply background for the moment we read about today, when God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac at the place where he will show him. If you Read over the passage again, you'll notice that God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, to be sacrificed. Right away, we might say, what's going on? Abraham has two sons. Why is God acting like Ishmael doesn't exist? This story is so far removed from the way we think today, we might wonder what we could even learn about family from these stories. I had a professor in college who was very adamant about the point that when we say biblical family values, we are saying something we definitely don't mean. Throughout the Bible, and especially early on, there are all these awful stories of broken, twisted families. There's murder, backstabbing, betrayal, harlotry, and lying. And that's just the nicer stuff that I feel okay saying on a Sunday morning over and over the situations of these biblical families is so bad we might want to disown them we might want to send them away like hagar and her son ishmael or skip over a story like abraham trying to kill his own son but i think that would be a grave mistake these stories are not here to reveal what a perfect family ought to look like so we can all model biblical family values They are here to remind us that life is hard and raising families is difficult even for the best of us. The first verse of Genesis 22 tells us that God was putting Abraham to a test. A test was relatively common in the Old Testament. Uh, There's riddles for King Solomon, Daniel's diet when he's in captivity, Jesus is hungry and thirsty in the wilderness, and Scripture says on repeat that these tests are for God to discover what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That's in Deuteronomy, and a little later it says God does this to humble you, And to do good in the end. So these tests are not random roadblocks to make life harder. They are, quote, a great difficulty that we face, but that ultimately we will benefit from. This isn't the devil tempting someone. This is God seeing if Abraham is truly committed to the commands of God. With Abraham's journey to a new land and not having a child for years... Then having Ishmael and the mess that was, and now finally he has Isaac, who is the fulfillment of God's promise. We could see how Abraham would struggle with God's command. God gives this child to Abraham, and then he says to kill him? Come on, to begin with, human sacrifice is totally wrong. Why would God ask this of Abraham? If it were me, I would be quick to say, no, that can't be God speaking. That must just be me misunderstanding the Lord. But that's actually not the lesson we take from this story. Abraham follows through with the command, preparing everything. Some scholars have noticed the order that Abraham prepares things. He saddles his donkey, then he takes two men to go with him, and then he cuts wood for the sacrifice. That isn't exactly the right order, and they've wondered if maybe Abraham's mind is reeling from God's command, or maybe he is trying to slow things down, dragging this out, hoping God changes his mind so he won't have to do this terrible thing. But he keeps going. He even heads up the mountain, leaving their companions behind. Just Abraham and Isaac are on the mountain of Moriah, which means land of vision. Abraham is going to see something from God here. He doesn't know what it is, but he is listening closely to God's voice, doing what the Lord commands. Isaac notices that they have no animal to make a sacrifice on the mountain. And when he asks about it, his father says, God will provide. And Isaac believes he is docile and accepts his father's answer. Even when it comes to the sacrifice itself, Abraham ties up his son Isaac, and it seems like Isaac doesn't resist. Abraham is very old at this point, probably around 100 years old, and Isaac is probably a teenager. There is no way Abraham could catch Isaac and tie him up. This shows uh, an incredible obedience on Isaac's part. But perhaps the reason he is so trusting is that Abraham is righteous. Abraham listens to the Lord and does what is right. In the end, Isaac's obedience to his father and Abraham's steadfast commitment to listen to the Lord pays off. God didn't ever want Isaac to be killed. God only wanted to test Abraham. And when Abraham shows he is willing to do anything the Lord calls him to, the angel tells Abraham to stop and not to sacrifice his his son. Instead, they are to sacrifice an animal, a sheep whose horn is stuck in a bush. And this reminds me very much of Jesus, who is called the Lamb of God and who dies on a cross for us. What we learn in this story is that God will indeed provide. When God gives a command and things are in the way, making it difficult, the remedy is to leave it to God. Trust God that the Lord will make a way. I know I feel this pretty keenly when things are difficult with my children, when I want good things for them and they don't want it for themselves, or I see how working hard now will be good for them long term and they couldn't care less. I have to give those things over to God. I can see it. I have the vision for it. But it's ultimately Not up to me, it's between them and God. I can't fix things for them. I can't solve their every problem. I have to be faithful to what God has called me to do, not necessarily what God has called them to do. There's this verse in Ezekiel 18. It's a little confusing because it assumes something we don't usually think about today. It says, Why should not the Son suffer for the iniquity of the Father? calling into question this long human assumption that children should be held responsible for what their parents do. I know most of us don't think it should be like that. We say children are innocent and shouldn't be judged by the actions of others, even of their parents. But we also say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, don't we? We assume that children may not yet be like their parents, but eventually they will be. Eventually they'll be guilty, just like their parents. So you think, well, we can judge the children at least a little bit right now. But the verse in Ezekiel goes on to say, A child shall not suffer for the iniquity of a parent, nor a parent suffer for the iniquity of a child. What an incredibly freeing verse that is. I can't believe how many times I've thought, yeah, that child is being naughty because of poor parenting, right? And, and here is scripture telling us the exact opposite. It's not the child. It's not the parent. Each is responsible for themselves. It's on each individual to live right, to do the right thing. Parents, you don't have to be perfect people or raise perfect children. Your job is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things that are wrong, and you need to repent. You need to stop sinning and turn back to God. But that's all part of the test. The test isn't, can you be perfect? The test is, will you turn back to God? So whatever our relationships might look like with family and friends, or coworkers and students, we know it's not about perfection. It's about turning back to God, listening for his voice, and following through on his commands. That's the test that comes to all of us. The question is, how will you respond? Let's end with this. Rosaria wrote a book called Openness Unhindered, and in it she tells how her family had been robbed. They lost their mother's precious jewelry, their dog had been beaten, and the whole house was ransacked. No one felt safe after that. Their children's anxiety skyrocketed and it took months for them to work through it. But you know what they did the day after getting robbed? It was the summertime, so they put a picnic table in the front yard, rolled the grill out, and invited the whole neighborhood to come and have hot dogs and hamburgers with them. They told people, we got robbed, we lost some stuff, But nothing of eternal value was taken. Come and join us. Dozens of people showed up. They ate and talked and the kids played with squirt guns. When neighbors asked how they were holding up after the robbery, Rosaria said, we had something real to tell people. This wasn't just about how good God was because things were going right in our lives. This was about the goodness of God even when things were going bad. The world notices how we respond when things are tough. Will you be faithful when the challenges come? How will you respond to the test that comes your way? It might be a test of family, of of children going wayward, or things simply not making sense in life. Will you still follow God even when you aren't getting what you want? Rosaria's family answered the test. They kept working to bless the whole world just like Abraham did with his son. Be like that. Be faithful. Turn to God even when things are difficult and be that blessing to the world. That's what happens when we let go of our own perspective, take on the perspective of God, and bless the world by making the right sacrifice. Amen? Amen.
0: For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.